All right, so this is for my father, Joe. Rest in peace. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Crush Organics CBD products, uh, Kingpin Skate Supply, and Indosol Footwear. These companies have amazing products, but more importantly, they highlight things I value such as health and wellness, environmental sustainability, entrepreneurship, and local small business. Um, if you visit their respective websites and use promo code THT when purchasing online, you get a nice discount and you'll be supporting the THT podcast. And in regards to Indosol, um, the THT code is now valid in Europe, Singapore, USA, and of course, Australia. All right, let's go. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Today's guest is Kath Blakey. Kath is a Greens political party councillor, mother and advocate for social and cultural change. During Kath's political tenure, she has been responsible for the Fogo Food Waste Initiative and other cool stuff like encouraging people to ride their bikes or skateboards instead of driving their cars by building functional bike pathways in population-dense urban areas. This week, Kathy's with me, excuse me, Kath, is with me live and on the back deck to share her journey, experiences, challenges, and hopes for the future. Councillor Kath Blakey, welcome. Thanks, Shannon. It's great to join you here. How's your morning going? It's good so far. Just cycled here into town. So, it's yeah, great morning. So, you're from... Where exactly? Where, I'm you grow from up? Wollongong, born and bred. Yep. Um, mum yep. and dad. Mum moved here as a teacher. Um, she would grow up in Armadale, and her first job was at Lake Heights um, as a as a teacher. And uh, dad moved here when his parents worked at the, at the uh, university, and dad worked at the steelworks all his working life. And so, um, I went to Mount St Thomas Public Wollongong High School, and then uh, studied at Wollongong Uni, and went overseas for about five years, and then came back uh, eleven years ago now. And yeah, it's been awesome to be on council and try and be part of bringing the change to Wollongong. Yeah, yeah utilizing the good things that we have here and trying to make the bad things <laughs> less. <laughs> yeah, you. I can tell immediately you're passionate about Wollongong. I can tell. Yeah. Are you excited about? It's growth. Well, I, I think growth is important, but growth, growth, positive growth, not growth for development's sake, not like bulldozing for the sake of it. Sometimes we see too much, like we do have, um, like the economic development team at council talk about how many cranes there are in the sky is a good thing. And I don't think it necessarily is good or bad. It depends how that development is going. So we need to have appropriate development, stuff that's socially useful. We don't want just more yuppie flats. We want more... Um, we want it, Wollongong to be a place where everyone can live and have a good life. And, and, you know, so much about public space, whether it's council parks or the beaches or the skate parks, is what makes Wollongong a great place to live. And, you know, where, where Australia's... Like, New South Wales is the third biggest city. We... They're used to kind of being this small regional place, but we're getting bigger and bigger. We're lucky that we've got a university, but um, and we have a steelworks. It's you know one of the biggest emitters of greenhouse gases in Australia, but steel can be great for making renewable energy. But we've also we're a long-term coal mining region, so we're a region that's got a lot of change happening, and uh, we want to make sure that change is as equitable and sustainable as possible. 
it's an industrial city. It is. With a you know, very large coal mining region as well. Yeah. Do you feel like being a member of a political party such as the Greens, that you have your work cut out for you in your in this region? Well, I you know, I joined the Greens as a student and um, Wollongong's got an amazing history with the Greens. We've got the first lower house Greens MP with Michael Organ getting elected at a by election back in two thousand and one. So we have um, the Greens Party, uh, like the local members, are fantastic and they're really diverse and have been, like as a one rep on council, we've got two Greens on council, we um, rely on them and like they're an amazing um, brains trust for me. And uh, yeah, it's, but you know, we know the Murdoch press often demonises the Greens and sometimes the things that people say, whether they're community members or they're other councillors, can be absolutely ridiculous and shocking and denigrating. But um, I, you know, I, I also like a bit of daggy old folk music and I think of like Pete Seeger and um, some of the songs it's like cool they said. Words. Yeah, totally. Total change maker. Um, <laughs> that they're kind of like the old songs about like, well, if you um, ain't been called a red, you ain't done nothing yet. So, you know, recognise that if you are trying to create change, sometimes you get you get headwinds and, and you get, um, if you're not actually trying to forge new paths, like, a, you know, dead fish <laughs> go with the flow. So if you're trying to go upstream, you know sometimes... I've never heard that. Yeah. I've never heard that. Dead fish go with the flow. Yeah. If you're trying to swim against the tide, sometimes it does... It does create some challenges. And, and, you know, generally we try to be collaborative and bring people with us and we are having success with that. Things like, um, because we care about big picture issues like social justice and the treatment of refugees and, and sustainability and climate change, but how do you make that relevant on a council level? And it's things like what happens to your bin service? So, like, FOGO is one of the things I'm so proud of because in Wollongong we have um, done a, a climate audit looking at the emissions and... And for Wollongong Council's operations, 80% of greenhouse gas emissions come from the tip. That's, and that's mostly food scraps and other protestable waste that get buried. And then that carbon rots and releases methane. And so if we can, instead of treating that like a waste product, treat, treat it like a resource and create great compost. And uh, that's what FOGO is doing. And it's making it easy for residents. Because I used to be a staff member at council and I was going like dealing with um, recycling and waste and going door to door knocking sometimes if people had contaminated their recycling bins and it was frustrating because it was all about personal behaviour rather than how can council make a service so that it's systemically just easy for people to use and do the most sustainable option. So FOGO, which stands for Food Organics, Garden Organics, has been part of making it easy for people to do the right thing for the environment. Do you feel like you've made systemic change? It's a process. It's on the way. And it's so interesting where, where the council service and also culture comes into it. So, for example, like having bike paths in the city for the first time has, you know, there's been a bit of backlash about that. But um, this Smith Street Cycleway is the first time that there's been a safe separated route from the CBD to the university past, past Wollongong Public, past the ta- Beaton Park, past the TAFE. Um, and so we hope that peop- more and more people are going to use it over over the years. It's not perfect. I know the intersections um, aren't. I reckon it uh, works. Aren't great. Hey, but, you sort of cut yeah. across onto the onto the main footpath. Yeah, I like that. It works. I do it all the time. Well, if if people are experienced cyclists, they might find it frustrating because they're used to just taking on the traffic in the road. But we know there's mm. lots of people that 
don't tend to do that, yeah. particularly if you've got kids. Yeah. And we want it to be safe for yeah. kids to cycle. It is. Yeah. It's great. And yeah. those guys who are serious, well, yeah, like, stay on the roads then. Do what yeah. you have to do. Yeah. Like, what's the main backlash you're getting, though, from those bike paths? Some of the residents on Smith Street particularly, um, because council, it's been on the, on the strategic plan for years for council um, and – the previous designs looked at removing parking and so there was concern that that would be a problem, particularly because that's free parking along there. So a lot of CBD workers drive there, park and then walk the block that it is to town. Have, have you lost parking spaces though? Or, Only or a few. So by but, but we made it one way and yeah. by making it one way, it was it meant the parking could stay. And But so having parking um, in the same direction on both sides of the road has made it different for people that are leaving their driveways. So some people that um, have to drive across the cycleway, some of them have been objecting. Some people have been objecting that they don't like the way that the street's one way now when it used to be two ways. Some people have been objecting that they... Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're the main things. <laughs> do those complaints come to you? They do, do yes. And sometimes persistently the same people. Um, yeah, it's change. And, and change can be a challenge. And And... Some of them want to be able to walk around. They're, they're concerned that council is, by funding bike infrastructure, it's taking away from footpaths. But, but I think we need both. Mm. We need it to be walkable and cyclable. And, and any way that people can be active and get around town and do it in an emissions-free way is a good thing. As, as a leader, which you are, how, you, how do you deal with those difficult conversations? What's your, what's your, actually, I want to know your personal approach to dealing with difficult conversations or, or difficult people? Well, I think mostly you have to listen. You have to... Um, I'm, I've met with residents there um, and taken that feedback to council staff. It's been challenging with uh, COVID because without... If we didn't have COVID, maybe, you know, I'd be door knocking the street so you can get a broad opinion of everyone rather than just um, the squeaky wheels or, or the people. Like, because it's true, people do tend to... Um, get in touch if they're upset about something more than if they're happy about something. Um, they do, don't they? They do. It's like that on the internet everywhere too. Yeah. Like reviews even. People only leave bad reviews <laughs> if they've had a bad experience. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be great if more people left good reviews. But um, I got re-elected, so hopefully <laughs> that's a good, a good thing. Um, yeah, we just had an election in, in December. so Amazing. Um, council hasn't had its first meetings yet, but in February will be the budget time, which is, is kind of crunch time. Ha- has that re-election sort of validated your vision in any way and, and what you're doing? It's been um, it's been strange with COVID. It's going to just fix your mic a little bit. Sorry. Sorry thanks, Jen. You're right. Um, it's been... It's it's really it is an exciting time having an election because often like we've got council meetings we get thousand page reports we've got to make decisions based on these reports and it feels a bit detached from the community but when you're on a polling booth people are coming up to your face and telling you exactly what you think and so it is really good and people are more engaged in the media too like so development issues in Wollongong they're something that I've been concerned about for some time and in in December 2020 council had a decision making point when a staff report came to council uh, um, that looked at changing the planning controls and that was about uh, reducing height limits of buildings at the moment height the height limit is potentially 120 metres, but Wollongong doesn't have any buildings that high. The highest one we've got at the moment is Signature, which is 76 metres, and staff recommended bringing it down to 48 metres. So you've got more human scale. Like, density is good, but 
it needs to be human scale so you don't get like wind tunnels and overshadowing and and also requiring things like setbacks and and good good public realms so good footpaths and good and public art even mm. but um unfortunately the majority of councillors voted to delay that and so the good thing about the election was that I heard from more and more people that they that they didn't know that that decision point happened, but also that they want to see things change, that they're concerned that there's overdevelopment and they want appropriate development. I'm not anti-development. I just want to see good, smart, socially appropriate development. It's, it's, so, it's good to hear that. I love that. Are you having a lot of conversations with town planners? We do have some conversations with town planners. Um, in the past, Wollongong's gotten into a lot of trouble because councillors were having um, very close conversations with town planners. We had a terrible history of corruption. Um, that was back in, like, 2008. The council even got dismissed and, and sent to ICAC and the courts and people were charged and ended up in jail. So that was before the Greens got on council. Um, so how councillors... Councillors' role is to look at the strategic plan, so things like the local environment plan, but that takes, like, 10 years to revise. It's a long process to change all that planning controls. Um, councils don't decide development applications, but it's often when a development application is, is advertised that residents first realise what the planning controls are because it's like, oh, this ha- this property, 120 metres high, is proposed right next door to my where I live. So they often do get in touch then, but it's not... But council laws aren't involved in decision-making about, about individual development applications. So things like heritage as well, like we just um, had the Marlene Court knocked down on Harbour Street. It was a beautiful old building in an area that's got lots of heritage buildings. But... Um, Council officers, council staff rejected it, but um, the 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 developers took it to the Land and Environment Court, and the court overturned council's decision, and it got demolished, and it's getting a new um, multi-story building there. But if council had been more proactive in our in our heritage controls, if we'd actually declared that a heritage significant site, then we could have been ahead of the developers and and saved it. So we so councillors do have to make sure we fund things like heritage studies because a lot of these planning controls it's it's really bureaucratic these days. Like I'm from the Greens, which has had a proud protest history, and like the the Environmental Planning and Assessment Act. This is that's from 1974. Back then it was like the green bans. There was the rocks were being knocked down. There was people on the streets, people blockading to protect heritage buildings and protect social housing. And um, and at the time, they, they created this act that for the first time said, you've got to take into account environment and heritage. But since then, this like massive bureaucracy has risen up that's all about writing reports and, and not necessarily protecting things, but documenting things. And I, I trained as an environmental scientist. Yeah. So I, and I was frustrated that that role is often about documenting, monitoring um, environmental impacts, not necessarily about protecting them. So I got involved in politics because I wanted to be involved in actually how do we change what's happening so that we stop the bad things happening and start the good, make sure the good things happen. So that's what you studied at university? I did, yeah. What was it? Environmental... Environmental science. Environmental science, yeah. okay. And going back to the red tape thing, like, I mean, that's with the onset of just to mitigate litigation. Is that correct? Like, do you, do you think that's what it is with the extra paperwork that we all... I see it in public education now more than ever. Do you think it just comes back to litigation or fear of litigation? Well, you do have to look at who still control who who creates the laws that the courts enforce, and and in um, in New South Wales, it's so much of 
the Land and Environment Court is often called the Land and Development Court. So it it does favour developers and and um, business proponents. The ability for community groups to have standing in court has been eroded. So um, it's sometimes courts lead change, like we've seen. Um, the the EPA even sued for not taking into account climate change when it's considering um, approvals. And and I mean I'm I'm not a legal expert, but I've had to learn about um, some legal processes when it like mining is really contentious in Wollongong because uh, we've got a lot of old coal mines they've been around for 100 years and they used to be board and pillar mines so where you create tunnels and you leave pillars and um, you kind of honeycomb the rock but you can get the coal out and still leave the the structure, the, the structure of it, of it. No way. but now we've got that. long wall mining which um, you get you know they make more money of because you get more of the coal and it's quicker so it's like this wall that goes through and everything collapses behind and what, and that means the rock subsides, like it, you get subsidence all the way from where the mine is up to the surface, and that that surface is our drinking water catchment. So what we're seeing is um, the reduction of drinking water um, and the the destruction of upland swamps, which are a really unique ecosystem, and also you get greater pollution wherever that water then pops out again because um, it's been through the mine so that's that's been a really wow. contested thing. I We've, didn't know that. That's amazing. Sorry, I'm yeah. full education here. I love it. Thank you. No worries. No, it's and it's been um, so. There's some existing mines that have long wall approval, but Russellvale Mine, uh, the, at the uh, Scarman end of Balambi Lane, that has sought uh, expansion approval, and they've had two long wall applications knocked back because of the subsidence impact, particularly because that's a, a triple C mine. So they're actually going under it for a third layer of coal. Um, the two one above have already gone. So if if you long wall under um, other parts that already yeah. have board and pillar mining, you could get pillar run, which means like dominoes, all the old pillars could just collapse and you've got, instead of having like one metre of subsidence, you might end up with three and that would just cause a lot of cracking all the way to the surface and you'd have terrible water loss. So so that got rejected twice, but that has just been approved for bottom pillar. So they've kind of they've they've gone back and revised their mine proposal and done a less aggressive sort of mine. But then at Mount Kembla, we've got um, South 32 have dendrobium mine and they put in an application for long walling. And last year the independent planning commission uh, had a big hearing and an assessment process. There was people that work for the mines made submissions and scientists and Aboriginal people and uh, the Planning Commission rejected it. Um, and it was a big shock. That was the first time that that's happened in Wollongong, that a coal mine proposal has been rejected. Wow. But at the moment then, um, there was a lot of political um, hoo-ha about it. Uh, Mark Latham for One Nation um, declared it a crisis and there was it's it's a really interesting issue when it comes to the steelworks because this that dendrobium mine was first approved when BHP owned both the steelworks and the mine but that's not the case anymore blue scope is a separate entity and so sometimes it said this coal mine is essential for the operation of the steelworks and that's part of the history but going forward, like, do we value water or do we value coal? Do we else? And you can get coal from other places. So we know that open cut coal mines in Queensland, 
they're often cheaper as well. It's a cheaper source of coal than, than the long war mines here in the Illawarra. But, um, and so the steelworks, there was lots of conjecture about whether it was essential, whether it would lead to the closure of the steelworks. But the steelworks has already increased its birth capacity so they can import more coal. Um, and they can do it faster. So they can, they can um, buy whatever's cheaper, but also from other, other parts of Australia or other parts of the world. So, but at the moment, then the planning minister went and said, we're going to give that um, significant state status, infrastructure status, which means that it sidesteps a lot of this planning assessment process. So it's a case where you've got this legal process that the department set up and then the minister has just decided to sidestep it. So it's, it's a really interesting issue, like who makes the laws and for what purpose and whether the, whether the community and the environment is, and heritage is considered enough. Wow. Sorry, that was a big rant. No, <laughs> it's, a it's, it's a wonderful rant. I'm just sitting here, like, when my sort of jaws dropping a little bit because I feel really uneducated. And I guess the initial question that comes to my mind is, is like, and call me ignorant, why aren't these issues more predominant in the media? And, and why aren't like average punters like me more aware of what you're talking about? It, yeah. What's your theory on that? It's been hard with um, COVID. Like there haven't been the community events and the protests as much or, or the public hall meetings and the street stalls um, because of COVID. But because we knew, know with Stop CSG when it came to Coal Gas, yeah. the, move, the community really mobilised. And that was, that was a big shift for Wollongong to say it, it was the first time that Wollongong really recognised this is our water catchment, it's a pristine environment, we want to protect it. And we won. <laughs> we, um, they became a moratorium on coal seam gas locally. Unfortunately, there's still some going ahead in the Pilliga in, in Western New South Wales. But up at Helensburg, where there was uh, licences for coal seam g- gas drilling, they were bought back and, and extinguished. So they, that was a great community win. And... But it, but it is really interesting. Why do, why do people still not know? And it's uh, I think activists have to have to really ask themselves that. Like sometimes we operate in a bubble, and it's really important to get out in the community. And with that campaign, stop CSG. There was a lot of door knocking. There was there was surveys of the community that, that in a way they were push polling. Like, what do you think about calcium gas mining in our escarpment? They're like, what calcium gas mining in our escarpment? Well, let me tell you. And then um, and so there were surveys done of the community that showed that. The majority, like 90% want it, did not want it. And there was lots of... It was a very um, visual campaign too with placards put all around the community and, and T-shirts and stuff. But, um, but yeah, that hasn't... Because mining still already exists in Wollongong, it is, it is a different um, kind of situation, whereas calcium gas was new. So gotcha. it was about stopping what was new. And, and with the calcium gas campaign, there were coal miners that also expressed opposition that they were concerned. But even today with coal mining, we, there are miners that express concern about it too, that um, see the damage and and see the water that ends up coming through the mines and gets pumped out. And even um, and it, it's interesting because, you know, the newspaper readership is falling, the, the media is quite segmented. Some people listen to podcasts, some people listen to ABC local radio, some people listen to mm. I-98. There's diverse players but also there's some the the establishment of the Murdoch press doesn't often cover environmental issues 
in a in a in depth or favourable way. And okay, so this is one of my questions, and you sort of mentioned earlier that the Greens Party in in this local area have only been elected to council in more recent times. Yeah. Um, and I sort of said this to one of my previous guests, Jess Whitaker, who ran for the Greens Party. I said, "Do you do you feel like the Greens Party are like the misfits of Australia, <laughs> Australian politics?" Do you feel like there's, there's, there's that image that the Greens Party have that image of being like kind of like the political misfits? I, I mean, for some people, there definitely Which is. I think it's rad. And I, 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 yeah. I love that. You say that and I think of Ian Cohen, who was one of the first <laughs> Greens MPs state parliament, you know, and he was like when they brought American war, like nuclear ships into Sydney Harbour, he was surfing on the front. There's, I don't know if you've ever seen that that, that photo. Green, He's got a book called Greenfire. Amazing. It's amazing oh, and iconic. So, yeah. Line. Yeah. And, and, you know, at, the stuff they were campaigning about the time was like sewage outfall and mm. they had a giant poo <laughs> on the back of a trailer and were taking it around beaches saying, you know, yeah. we need tertiary treatment of sewage. We don't <laughs> stop dumping it, um, sewage outfall in our beaches. And so, yeah, yeah, the Greens have, have a radical history. And I think, um, but I think when people get on council, like we've just had these council elections across New South Wales and we've got uh, 68 elected. And so I think, you know, People, the media often vilify us for being dangerous. Um, in fact, there's another podcast called Serious Danger where it quotes Scott Morrison saying the Greens are a serious danger. And I think... Um, is that, that with Tom Ballard? It is. Yeah, Tom Ballard and Emerald Moon. Yeah. Yep. But because we do challenge their business model, which just assumes that business as usual, that um, development at any cost is a good thing, and we, we challenge that. We don't take money from corporations. We don't take money from mining companies. We want to actually see a ban on um, electoral campaigns being run on mining dollars because mm. we, we know in Australia that's got a terrible history and we've seen... We, you know, we used to lead the world when it came to climate action at a federal level and then we had Tony Abbott get in and he slashed so, so many of the initiatives. We got... You know, there, was a, there was a fight back and we kept ARENA, the um, Renewable Energy... A funding organisation, and but there was other things that were ripped up. I mean, call me ignorant again, but do you feel like short um, political terms make it near impossible to implement long-term change and strategy? It is interesting is that, that, is at, that a broader, level, at a federal level... Is that too broad a question? Yeah. A, I don't know. Yeah, I think that might be a contributing factor, but, but I... Th- I don't think elections are a bad thing. I think they're a good thing. I think it's good to have that accountability of elections. Um, I think there's other issues like the media monopoly in Australia, like the corporate donations that are, are having a worse impact than than the short term of elections. But it's been interesting, like at Wollongong Council, the election cycle has been all over the place because the old council was sacked for corruption. There was Then there was administrators. Then the council was elected and then they ended up serving a six-year term. But normally, council terms are only four because the state government decided that they were going to merge councils together and they proposed merging Wollongong and Shell Harbour. And it was only that Shell Harbour put up a legal challenge to that, that Wollongong um, didn't get merged. And then there ended up being a change of, of Premier. And so we Mike Baird got booted out and Gladys Berejiklian became the Premier and she reversed the... Uh, forced mergers. So all the f- mergers that had already gone ahead, they still went ahead, like Inner West and Pit- Pitwater um, or Northern Beaches, and but Wollongong and Shell Harbour were saved. 
Uh, yeah, so so that was a six-year term. Then just now with COVID, we had it was meant to be a three-year term, but it ended up being four years because of COVID. Or f- and then this next term that I'm just about to start is only going to be two years and nine months to get back in with the election cycle because Thanks. we had the delay because of council. So it'll be it'll be really interesting. Maybe I'll come back one day and we'll talk yeah, like did I'm that. Love, how I'm much of a difference did that make having a short election term on council to to what council well, could get I'd done? Love, I'd love to know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and again, like I'm getting you on after an election so like sort of to highlight a little bit that i'm I'm not getting on for any real agenda except just to get to know you and get educated and that's what i feel like you're doing right now um i really believe in activism i think activism is a good thing i think uh the term activism can uh sometimes conjure negative um sort of ideology but i really believe we need to be nurturing people and, and encouraging people to be active. And so what I want to ask you is, in well, I want to use the FOGO bin scheme that you uh, launched and, and initiated. Uh, I see that as, a, as someone really taking action on ch- to make change. I want to get into the, I want to understand the ins and the outs of making something like that actually happen to hopefully, you know, inspire someone to take action on something else. Is that okay? Do you yeah, understand that'd what I'm be saying? great. Do you see where I want to go with that? Yep, I'm always happy to talk rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Recycling <laughs> and Fogo compost. So you mentioned, yep. yeah, so so it's food organics, um, garden organics, okay, and so it's effectively, I'll just give it a little bit of context. You get your food scraps in your kitchen and you're putting them in a, in a little bin. Yep. So can you take us from there? Like h- how did you make that happen? So I... Because I'm sure it would have been hard. Well, I raised the issue internally. Um, council has planning events and, and looks at what strategic kind of, um, what money it's going to put to develop strategic plans and, and other initiatives for implementing stuff as well. And I kept on raising FOGO. And it's partly because in the Illawarra, where, where Wollongong um, Council is the one I'm on, where we're living, but Shell Harbour and Kayama already have FOGO. And they got it through their strategic plan. So they just did a waste gotcha. strategy and that identified that 40% of waste going in the red bin is food scraps. We can just change the bin service, make our green bin collection weekly instead of fortnightly and turn that into compost and, and it'll save us landfill. It'll create jobs. It'll create compost. But Wollongong, um, the strategy didn't have it in there and it was partly because there was an engineering approach there was an idea that let's sort the red bin instead and where that happens, the compost you get is actually contaminated because there are places where you create compost from landfill but then you've got heavy metals and other things. So you can only use that compost on forestry projects or road verges at the time but now there's actually a ban of using that at all. So Yeah, so just so people understand, when you bury organic matter yep. by itself, yep. it turns septic, correct? That's and, right. Okay. With no oxygen so, there, with no the oxygen. carbon that used to be part of the like carbohydrate or the, the food, the carbon then turns into methane, CH4, which then the, 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 the carbon is methane and then that goes into the atmosphere. It's a gas and heats our planet. Right. So yeah. it needs to be aerobic. So it needs to have air being yeah. aerated. So it yeah. can decompose. It can decompose into soil, into, into new soil. soil, into soil carbon. That can be reused. It can be reused. And you get that black, beautiful soil that you yeah. can add to, um, like just down at Ostermere, 
beach at the promenade there that that's all been top dressed with yeah. fogo compost thank you so when we used to previously have mixed waste yeah so you like your, your, your organics mixed with your everyday rubbish yep. all being buried yep okay that was that was turning septic that's right effe- effectively. yeah okay. and we do like now um it's there are pipes being installed at the tip to try and capture that waste i mean cap- capture that gas capture that methane oh, gas wow. But um, it's just then flared, so you turn it from methane into carbon dioxide, and carbon dioxide doesn't have as much warming impact on the on the atmosphere. But it's still a greenhouse gas, and it's still a waste, and it's still taking up lots of landfill space. So we've got a whole bunch of old landfill sites across Wollongong, like the Russellvale Tip, yep. the uh, greenhouse park at Coniston, mm-hmm. um, and since 1984, we've had White Scully at Kembla Grange. So. Generally, the state government isn't approving new landfill sites and some of them, like most of Sydney, put all their waste on trains and send it to um, down near Goulburn, to Woodlawn. But, um, yeah, I'm a bit of a waste nerd. I didn't know that. (laughs) Thanks for the education. Sorry. Um, Keep going. Yeah, so so it's not likely that there'll be any new landfills approved. So, for example, Kayama doesn't have their own landfill and when... Uh, residents have to, well, rate pays or councils have to send their landfill to somewhere else. It costs a lot more money. So it makes sense to kind of optimise what we've got and, and not uh, not waste it. So if we can minimise what we send to landfill, it'll save rate pays money and it'll be better for the environment. Mm. So, okay, so you, you put a proposal into Wollongong Council and said, I want to, you know, yeah, uh, and at mim- the time- mimic, mimic a program that's being done. In other suburbs, is that what affected? Oh, so so yeah. Sorry, I got sidetracked. Yeah. So going behind the scenes, <laughs> I wasn't getting any any success. I was just was getting pushback. Saying by, by who? Other councillors? By other council, other other councillors weren't interested, and the staff weren't interested. Um, and then and then the war on waste happened. Craig Rewcastle's TV show. And Chase's war and everything. Yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah, and so that looked at Penrith and how they brought in Fogo, and. Part of, at the end of that segment uh, of that episode, he's like, contact your council if you don't have FOGO. And suddenly I was getting all these people contacted me and I'm like, right, this is it. So we launched a petition wow. that said, let's get, let's get um, FOGO for Wollongong. And that's actually partly how I met Jess. She turned up at the council meeting dressed at it, covered in food. <laughs> like, yeah, it's hilarious. She's, covered in... Um, she's an like, enigma, that woman. She is. She's a total powerhouse. She's great. Um, <laughs> and and it, it ended up being a bit of a crazy time, though, because I ended up in hospital what? and not at the council meeting because I was heavily pregnant and had preeclampsia. So oh. Mithra, the other Greens councillor, she put the motion forward on the night. Like, I submitted it and wrote it and... Wow. Um, but she presented it and the motion was like step by step. It was like, let's have a trial of FOGO because I knew there was still um, a pushback amongst okay, well, and I wanted to okay, build why? the case. Why? Well, when Shell Harbour brought it in, they reduced their Redmond service to fortnightly. So that created some backlash because people didn't like having a reduction in their red bin service. Is that because it just hadn't adapted yet? Because they've yeah. been so used to doing things a certain way That's it. for yeah. such a long time. So it was just... And if when, when people start using FOGO, they, they realise how much less there is in their red the bin. Best. And then you don't have to put it out every week. Yeah. But um, they didn't like being forced to do that. So that was the time when the forced merger was underway. Um, and so... Wollongong councillors were hearing a lot more from Shell Harbour residents. So I think that's where some of the concern happened. And and the thing with FOGO too is that you have to make sure there's minimal contamination because even a little bit of 
plastic bags, soft plastics, anything, it can have a big impact like glass or anything. So, Or how do you monitor that? Well, at the moment, it's an opt-in. Well, yeah, at the tip, so at um, Kembla Grange, Sawco run Wollongong Council's FOGO at the moment and they, they have like a pick line so everything comes through on a conveyor and they, they remove the, contamination. Even for the organic waste? For the organic waste, yeah. Uh, and they remove um, – so it's, it's up on a high um, – gantry sort of thing and then below it is a bunch of skips so they pull out sometimes people put in things like they think it's it's for garden material so they put in their pots or they put in their they put in bricks that they might bury in the yard or something there's all sorts of things sometimes if people don't have enough space in their red bin they'll end up putting it in other bins whatever bin they have Mm. um and that creates contamination so but so Wollongong has a the FOGO service is opt-in if people don't want to do it they don't have to do it and I'd rather they didn't do it, then do a bad job at it. So it's really good that we have had less than 1% contamination. Everyone that's been getting on board have been really fantastic. Well, here's a question for you. I assume there'd be a, a fairly heavy cost associated with, you know, uh, giving those bins to residents. Yeah. yep. Does the cost... It, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, well, can we justify that cost in terms of how does it offset... Um, the processing of yeah. organic materials is it i know it's going to help the environment which yep. is great i'm all for that yeah but is it at the detriment of our economy or our finances it is a bigger cost to ratepayers to have the trucks go around weekly um it would be cost neutral if wollongong reduced our red bin collection to fortnightly um because you'd have the same kind of bin gotcha. bin Cost or expense, gotcha. yeah. But turnover. if you consider, yeah, turnover. But if you consider what would it cost to waste this landfill space and to build a new landfill, that cost about ten million dollars to build just a new landfill cell to 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 build to to build. They've got a piggyback cell. So at the moment, I don't know if you ever stand on Mount Kembla and you look straight down. That's yes. where the landfill is, White's Gully, and so they're kind of it's on the side of a gully, and they're it's they're building piggyback liners. So it's like onion skins, kind of coming out and out so they're kind of building them down the slope um and that's it's a really expensive process which is good because in the past they used to just bury landfill and uh not really monitor or keep track of what was going on now they have liners that on, try to on the land on the land where they're, yeah. where they're dumping where they're dumping they yeah. have a liner so to try and stop any leachate any bin juice like think of bin juice times eighty thousand houses with wow all sorts of things in there we want to stop that because where the white scully one is is in the catchment of lake illawarra a beautiful wonderful lake so if we didn't control the leachate it would just end up in lake illawarra so so it's so there's a lot of engineering today to landfill um, and it's important that there is because we want to want to prevent it becoming a big pollution source yeah. for the rest of the environment. So that if we if we take that cost into account of the landfill management and the cost that like when you bury landfill you have to keep managing it for the next fifty years, like we see at Helensburg, which and the old tip there is at the top of the Hacking River, like right next to the Royal National Park. It's a big risk. Um, yeah, it's really important that the cost, the full management cost, is is factored in. Wow. That's so great. Uh, I just I love hearing it. It's good just to hear it firsthand and 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 really understand it. Um, yeah, I mean I I mean I'm, I use it. I don't really think about the bigger picture behind it, except like oh this is great. Where they're gonna they're gonna turn this into some compost. And I wanna I do want to know though like how is the compost 
that's been created from Fogo currently being used? Yeah, it's a really interesting yeah. process. Uh, so at White Scully, they they've um, they remove any contaminants yep. as possible. They then put it through this really um, slow auger that shreds things, but it can it, it can even if you put an aluminium can in through through it, it doesn't shred it into pieces. It kind of mangles it. Okay, <laughs> and then and then they put it in a um, shed that's monitored for moisture and it it's um what's the word (laughs) sorry it's got low like it doesn't let any air escape from it okay um because then there are odor risks even though it's yeah yeah. it's oxygenated and had its moisture level managed they try to make it um a a aerobic process that's not stinky or anaerobic but um but it still has to be it's still a big pile of rotting food scraps gotcha. and yeah. they mix it with other things. So it stays in there for two weeks and then and matures. And then at the moment it's um, trucked down to Nowra where Sorco have a farm and they mature it in windrows <laughs> and then they blend it with other sands or other other soil mixes and sell it back. So if you buy compost ah. from Bunnings, you could be buying our old Fogo. Interesting. But it's interesting because Wollongong d- d- pays someone else to do it, whereas Armadale, yeah. it's council operated and they actually give it back to the community for free. Does so, so, yeah. Soilco buy it off council? No, and council has a contract and pays Soilco to take it. They pay them yeah. to take it. Yeah. But do then, let's say then they... But then Soilco can sell it. I was going to say, <laughs> it's yeah. It's not the best financial deal yeah. for council, but, it's, but it works out better than... If council had to fund the cost of landfilling yeah. it, partly also because the state government has a tax on landfill, and that's meant to incentivise mm. alternatives to landfill. I guess too, though. Then it's another way to look at it is that it's also creating some industry and creating yeah. jobs yep. and putting back into the community. I'm sure the yep. people at Soilco are happy for that opportunity. Yeah. So it's creating opportunity, maybe. Yeah, and and the Shell Harbour one is run by Regrowth. There's different yeah. um, commercial. No, just kind of composting like soil, makers soil as well. Give us a bit of a kickback, so reduce our rates a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just being, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit. Well, and it's um it's a really daggy thing, but like <laughs> contracts of waste is a massive issue, and that'll be coming up soon. Imagine. So things like what do you mean? So well, who collects the bins and what the household cleanup service is? Whether you can put rubbish out on the curb and have someone collect it? Whether all that goes to landfill or whether it gets recycled? Whether the trucks are run on diesel or electric? There's, is it super? I'm, I'm sure it's super competitive. Like. Pri- yeah. Private companies bidding for these, um, you know, that's right. Tenders, yep. yeah. Wow. So and and I think we need to design the contracts so that there's accountability in them and that there's sustainability as well. Yeah. Because like the issue with household cleanup, I don't know. There was an article in the paper this week about people upset because there's just rubbish left on the footpath in Winona. Um, and is that for those those one off collection days where you know yeah. people? What do they call that? Where you can put all your so things that you usually can't throw out. Yeah, hard rubbish hard or rubbish. household cleanup. Yeah, it's yeah. usually larger council items. Cl- council pickup. Well, yeah. council, and like, I think everyone gets them. I mean, we have them at our building once a month or something or once every few months, I think. Yeah, we, well, it used to be in Wollongong that there was twice – oh, it was an annual thing. It was once a year you could oh, put things out. And okay. there used to be a calendar that was released and there was about 30 scrappies that made their living just scavenging them. Yeah. Um, but then there was concern that back then the scavenging was – we had – uh, cathode ray tube TVs, those big fat ones, yeah. the big old fat TVs, <laughs> and people would smash the back of them yeah. to get um, the valuable metals out. And then, so that was creating a lot of unsightly mess on the footpath. Uh, so, 
that was when the administrators were managing council and I was actually a staff member in the waste education team. I used to work as a Did staff you? member for council. So That's why I know a lot of this daggy it's waste daggy. stuff. It's um, so it's interesting. But um, so back then they changed the contract and made it on call so people could call up and book. And if they're in an individual dwelling, they can do two a year or if they're in a block of a, part, a block of less than eight dwellings, they can, they can book... Um, to each or, or, or combine it if there's more um, to so many a year. But that's – it led to less scavenging. Gotcha. But also – so that meant less kind of community recycling. Gotcha. Um, but it also led to more formal recycling. So people have to say if they're dropping off um, a TV or a computer or a mattress – and those, they send around a separate truck to pick up those things and they get recycled. And we're lucky in Balambi, we've got a mattress recycling company, uh, Soft Because um, they're, soft they're really difficult, those. The mattresses are super difficult, aren't they? To well, it's just, they're, they're bulky and, yeah. and it's, it's not pleasant work. It's, it's, it's uh, really hands-on. They cut them open and um, pull out all the materials and the plastics and the and the steel because they do often have steel frames. The, the, so it's, And the steel yeah. springs. The steel springs, yeah. Yeah, so interesting. Yep. Um, look, there's, uh, there's one other thing I want to ask about some of the, the uh, Greens Party, I guess, uh, policies or I guess initiatives that, you know, they the, the party want to like um, maybe initiate one day. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed on your the Greens Party um, social media and some other outlets that You've been advocating um, for a relaxation of laws around cannabis. Yeah. And the, I guess you can call it the Relax It and Tax It initiative. Right. Um, can you give us some background on that? Is that something that you're interested in? Yeah. I mean, I think same as we saw with alcohol, prohibition doesn't work. We It just is a business model for criminals. And so it's it's the way bikies get their money. Um, yeah. So if we actually regulated it, um, we treated it like a health issue, people can... We already have a cannabis, um, like a marijuana um, clinic down in Dapto. Um, but medicinal marijuana. Medici- medicinal yeah. for, for medicinal marijuana. But we know around the world, like where it's... Even for recreational use, where it's regulated, um, like just going to a pharmacy or, or, a, or a vape store, I guess... Um, you can you can get a you can regulate the sale of it, and also that means people can get the, there's quality control. You don't it's not some really risky and dosage thing, control. Dosage control, and you can also get information mm. about health if you've got if you've got a problem with but your it reduces, addiction or something. But it, I mean, this has always stuck out for me. I mean, I mean, I've made I've personally made a decision to to never. Uh, you know, use marijuana um, with THC. I, I use CBD products, yep. which is, have, have no THC or, or psychoactive ingredient in it. However, I've always just been like, well, when it's when it's illegal, it's just going to create a black market. So it does. by having it, it just reduces a black market, and then that fund those the, the, the tax it, and then that money can be used for some productive things. So I mean, yeah, I think exactly. Colorado in America. And California are yep. interesting examples. And Colorado, apparently, like, they're one of the richest states in America now. Yep. So, you know, and they're using those funds for education and health and, yep. and stuff like that, you know. And, and we've seen Portugal do amazing things in that space Portugal? too. Yeah, oh, what do they do? Well, they've um, decriminalised 
a lot of what used to be illegal drugs. And so people, it has actually seen recreational use decrease, but you can get them legally now. And, and so you can address a lot of the health impacts and the, it doesn't become a criminal issue if you've got, and, and it actually often reduces the price. So the production of a lot of drugs might be really cheap, just like Panadol. But if you've got a supply chain that's illegal, then it keeps the price inflated and the and yeah, so you free up, you have um, prisons, you free up um, the the courts and you, you have, and you can, what we really need is to boost rehabilitation Thank services, yeah. to treat it like a health issue, not a criminal one. Well, let's face it, like people that do abuse drugs are self-medicating yeah. For, yeah. for deeper issues. Yeah. You know, when I see, uh, when I see a, 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 a drug addict or a someone abusing a substance, I, you know, I, I, I feel deep sympathy for them because the underlying issues are, are probably vast, you know. So I just think it's so much more of a progressive approach. But I guess where I feel a little bit down is I just feel like Australia is way too conservative for an initiative such as what you're proposing. Well, like, it's amazing. In ACT. ACT though. They have it there. You can, but they're having issues with it, aren't they? Uh, I'm not sure. But I know they're just about like when it comes to pill testing. They've, they do that at events and... Um, oh, like, like a harm minimization approach. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you still have to meet with an emergency doctor, um, and the, but they, they run through your... Um, they do a chemical analysis on whatever pill you've got. And then you can know if it's going to kill you or if... Um, and what risks there are. Interesting. Yeah, that's... And they do that in Europe and, and places in Europe as well. That's right, Whereas yeah. in Australia... Basically, it's the sniffer dogs and that person's just going straight to jail. Yeah, and it's ridiculous, these sniffer dogs. We know actually people then panic sometimes and take whatever they've got <sighs> and it can, like there's been, yeah, there can be ODs that way. And and people can get past sniffer dogs anyway sometimes. Like we've yeah. seen sniffer dogs down at Stewart Park for yours and ours and people jump the fence or throw something over or whatever. It's ridiculous and it's, it's, um, it's, it's really sad. I, I guess for me, like... It's never changed. Like, like you said, like you mentioned pro- alcohol prohibition back in the 40s. 30s or, 30s yeah. Or 40s. I mean, and people will just continue to, to yeah. smoke marijuana. I, I think with marijuana it's interesting though because now the medicinal benefits are proven. Yeah. Obviously, like anything, it can be abused. Like you can abuse Panadol for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and like you said, like then you can put that, – that money can be put into education because I'm yeah. a PDHPE teacher yeah. and we, we do drug and alcohol education yeah. in our health programs, yeah. you know, and we talk about a harm minimization approach yeah. and, and how we can encourage young people to take that approach in regards to peer group pressure and things like that yeah. uh, and supporting friends at parties and things like that. Yeah. But then our, our government laws are, are completely opposite to what we're trying to educate young people and that is to take, take personal responsibility. If someone like, has had a bad health, health reaction, mm. if they're worried about contacting, like, getting help because they might end up in jail or something, that's ridiculous. They just need to be able to get the help they need and, and stay safe. Exactly. And, but a lot of people also use and don't have any adverse impacts. It. Yeah, so doing it sensibly and and um, knowing what you're in for is really important. Like I think it's really archaic. It's it like archaic. they used I love that word. they used to be treated that like with sex, where women were not told anything about it and just it was assumed that sex didn't happen. And of course, people were getting 
into all sorts of crazy situations and need coat hanger abortions and stuff. So it's, it's this really ridiculous, outdated, non-evidence-based approach. It's just um, the law and order kind of drum that gets beaten by conservative politicians is, is pathetic, I think. So when you're at a councillor meeting, the, the, the meeting is made up of, um, is it constituents from, is that the word, for li- from, Liberal party, from the Liberal Party, from the Labor Party, Independence and Greens Party, is that the, right? The, yeah, so Wollongong, back to, so Excuse drug and me. alcohol is not a council issue, unfortunately, it's one it's that not. I think needs to change, that's Sorry. more of a state issue, but yeah, back to Wollongong Council, so there's, there's a team of councillors, so yeah. Wollongong has 13 councillors, there's three, three wards, so each ward has four councillors, um, and there's, at Wollongong at the moment, there's six Labor councillors, three Liberals, two Greens and two Independents. So to get something passed, you need seven people to agree with you. And um, and sometimes you can, if something's coming up that you don't agree with, you can either try to just vote against it or you can try to amend it. So that's often a judgment call we have to try and make. Or um, like some things, sometimes council passes motions that are about lobbying or about... Um, kind of position statements and sometimes they're about actually doing things and of course the things that make a difference in people's lives is what council actually does but um something like the rainbow crossing was so in front of the novotel hotel there's a rainbow crossing oh thank you and even though um that's more of a symbolic thing but it's really important to the community particularly because that was um a motion that came up at the time when there was a plebiscite in australia about uh, marriage equality and it, that was a bit of a divisive one. There was the Greens backed it. It um, was a proposal from a Labor councillor and the Labor team split on it too and the Liberal team split. So it didn't go along party lines, but the majority of councillors supported having a rainbow crossing to celebrate um, inclusivity and, and the LGBTQI plus in our community. Yeah. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. Um <laughs> I mean, for me, for me, I think a rainbow crossing is just a no-brainer. Like, and I go, oh, that's that's an easy decision. Just yeah. do it. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. But it, these little things. Oh, it's not a little thing. I think it's a very symbolic. But but sometimes they get divisive. Why, why do these things become so hard? And I guess my question is, yeah, do these meetings become like, I guess, a game of survivor where you have to form allies with other political parties? So far at Wollongong, because there's no one group, like my experience has been because there's no one group that has a majority, there is quite a collegiate approach and we do try really? to collaborate with people and find common ground. It means picking your battles. Oh, um, okay. But like when it came to declaring a climate emergency, it also helped that there was a massive community out, you know, pushing for it to happen. So it's that time when there, then activism really impacted what council did. Um, another issue was when the state government decided it was going to remove funding to the, the free shuttle bus in town, the Gong Shuttle, and there was a massive community outcry about that and council came to the party and found $300,000 a year from strategic reserves, which could be used for anything, like skate parts or anything, and said we will keep the green bus running free because it's a really important thing in our community. And it's, it's, it's an economic um, no-brainer because it moves 3 million people a year between the uni and the hospital and the CBD. 
and Frey Meadow. So it's really key service. Absolutely. But um, so with that, there was no politics. Everybody agreed. Mm. And it was really interesting because the Liberal councillors called for it to happen, even though it was a Liberal state government that was making the decision. Sometimes council, council laws are united. Sometimes it's divergent. Um, council made a position on the Russellville coal mine and had never made a position on mining before. Staff had written reports that focused on the science or um, sometimes the economics or diff- all the different aspects that council staff um, have responsibility for. But that was the first time council had made a political stance on it and council um, objected to it. Right. And that was because there was a big community campaign about Russellville and, and because it's a mine that's the operators have had a long history of pollution and... Um, polluting waterways and and not doing its basic maintenance. Mm. For, for those that don't know, again, mm. coming in at a very base level here and and being, you know, my political engagement is limited. You know, I I uh, you know, I do what I have to do. I vote um, as as I'm required to and you know, and loosely stay in and as a ratepayer as well, loosely stay in touch with what's going on in the area. But I just feel like I feel very oblivious to how the workings of, of those things that occur in the council chambers happen. So can you give us a, all a breakdown in terms of how often do you meet? Yeah. What are those meetings like? Yep. How, do, how do you actually bring something to the meeting if you yep. want change? And um, how everyday person such as myself could get you to take something to council or take something to a meeting or initiate a change. Yeah, and it's like, like, challenging because there's no one way. Like a change, like, you know, for example, building a skate park in Wollongong. Well, the, <laughs> that change is, is in the works because it's already got budget. So I've got an agenda. Yeah. Oh, I don't care. I've got a massive agenda. Build a skate park in Wollongong, please. Yeah, and it, it needs to happen. And anyway. and it's lucky that it's already got budget because it's been identified to happen. So it just it just needs to finally happen to be decided where it's going to be. Really? Um, yeah, because there's been calls for skate parks for a long time, particularly I in know. Thoreau and, and yeah. in Port Kembla. Yeah. Um, so the way things can happen at council, it, there's, there's various ways. Sometimes people present petitions. Um, that gets noticed by council laws. Um, sometimes, but generally to get a motion in, you have to have a councillor present a motion. Right. So it could be that Councillor Blakey um, requires a, you might just, the councillor might just ask for a briefing or a report on the progress with the skate park and um, just to make, and that forces the staff to do something, to report back, to let us know how the progress is coming. Um, so is yeah. the mayor is the mayor heading the meeting? The mayor's the chair. Yeah, he's so the, the chair of the, the chair. meeting. Yep. Okay, right. So and he's running yeah. through the motions. He is. So yeah, okay. you start with and and peep community can apply to speak at a council meeting. So the meeting starts with a with um, a prayer, um, and then it has a um, a like, time when people like declare a, any like political a Christian prayer. A Christian prayer. Yeah. Okay. Um, some other councillors have an affirmation that's just like. We promise to do the best by our citizens, um, aka not be dodgy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's. <laughs> not be dodgy. <laughs> so nice to hear a council. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the history of council is, know, is pretty I know, shocking. I know. Um, and, and all this governance stuff is, is or, really or, important. Well, power corrupts, let's face yeah, it. Yeah, totally. Anyway. But yeah, um, so, and then people can speak at the council, they can. Um, and if they've applied to beforehand. And then you look at the, the the reports from staff. So often there's reports like there might be a tender, who's going to run the 
kiosk at the Unandera pool gotcha. or yeah. all these things. And generally they're adopted on block. They're not contentious. They're just the goings of council. Um, sometimes they are contentious, the tender about who's going to clear the sand dunes at Port Kembla. Um, I didn't support that, so I didn't adopt it on block. We spoke to that and, and we lost, unfortunately, and the dunes got bulldozed for ridiculous reasons. But anyway, back to the process. Um, and then at the end of the meeting, council goes through uh, motions that come from councillors or the le- actually the Lord Mayor, Mayoral Minutes, trump them and go first. And it's really interesting because Mayoral... I mean, notions, motions, notions of motion from councillors are... They can be lobbying things like... So the council writes to the state government to say, we want the intersection at the top of Board Hill fixed because it's too risky. That's been one that's come up quite a bit. Or, um, or different issues. Or they could be about council staff report back on something. Because to get council to do anything is actually quite an iterative process. Often you need to develop a strategy and then... So you, and you get the strategy funded and then that strategy comes up with a plan of what to implement and then you have to get the the each of those initiatives funded so the sports strategy has on the play strategy is already identified that Wollongong that skateboarding is the thing that our community loves to do and so it's identified that then one of the actions should be that we build a CBD skate park um, and it's in the it's in the budget. And that's agreed future. upon by all councillors. Yeah and then so, in every February mm, councillors mm. meet to have a budget meeting for the year ahead and then in May that budget goes on public exhibition and then oh is first is adopted at a council meeting May this year May this year yeah and then it goes on public exhibition and and it's it's ridiculously um, detailed it has like hundreds of pages that are like footpath Collins Street footpath like Colbert um Ferry like Ferry Avenue um and and then people provide feedback on that Stuff like um, the North Beach uh, Surf Club roof, that that was one that generated a lot of feedback because it was meant to just be um, in a few years' time and the surf club community were like, no, it needs to happen now. And, and then council staff kind of prepare a report about what all the feedback is and then uh, the council then adopt it. Sometimes council is changing on the floor, but it's easier if the staff have already made the changes or if people kind of, yeah, have already provided that feedback and then it's adopted and then it's rolled out. So it's hard to, it is hard once the year is already operating to create new initiatives. Um, And when I did that, when I put the motion up about FOGO, it ended up um, that there's a trial and so they found money to run the trial, but then there was, there was like delays like, oh no, we're going to wait for this state government grant. And then, and then they ended up being able to encompass it in the next kind of um, budget cycle, the next budget year, budgeted year. So it can take some years to get things changed through council. But then with the green bus, $300,000 was found from reserves. So some things are slow, and, but if there's enough community pressure, things can be sped up and be quick. Mm. So community pressure can make things happen. It does, yeah. Okay. Community scrutiny. Well, how, how, would you, how would you advise local skateboarders then right now? Um, write to council laws, and if someone wants to speak at a council meeting, they're good things to do, and then make sure follow the budget. I mean, mm. it's, it can be really easy is just writing to mm. council and say... I've heard this is happening. When, when, when is it happening? Yeah. It needs to happen now. I want yeah. to see it happen. My kids are growing older. <laughs> I'm, I'm growing older. <laughs> I want to be able to skate yeah. in my, my town. My knees aren't going to be able to handle yeah. it <laughs> in a few years. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. So, yeah, like they said, the, the budget's going to – the, the money's going to be demonstrated in yeah. May. And then 
exhi- what, exhibited. The, and, and then yeah. what the location is going to be, how's the location decided? Well, so, yeah, that'd be... What's the process for that? Often that gets exhibited as well. So when it came to the Bulleye, um, there's a new pump track for bike riding, yeah. like a dirt track, that was three options were exhibited and people provided feedback on that. So, yeah, I, well, I don't know yet how well, staff are planning to pursue they, that. How do they provide feedback? Like, is there a service? It's on a website, can, oh, yeah. So, our.wollongong.nsw.gov.au yeah, so has that, all the things that are on exhibition at the moment that people can have feedback but, on. But ultimately, who makes the decision around location? So, like, the general yeah. public can give feedback on, like, yep. I think it should be here, here or here. Yeah. But who, who makes the ultimate decision? Is it the councillors and the mayor? Well, it's often the staff report. It has a recommendation. And if councillors agree, it'll be adopted if councillors disagree they might change it so it yeah it can happen it is a really good question who makes that decision yeah yeah i mean because it's like i'm sure like it's like i mean i guess i I think about politicians i can't imagine how challenging it would be um and i just think like it must be so hard to like keep everyone happy yeah, and I mean, if I want to sort of go into your psyche a little bit as a again as a as a counsellor, like, you know, what's your personal approach to that? Um, what guides you in those decisions when you know that not everyone's going to like your idea? Yeah, I mean, I think for me as a green, I yeah, come back to res- principles. Principles. So, what keeps you resilient? I guess is the question. Yeah, yeah. Personally. And for me, like being in nature, like having that touchstone is really important. It's, um, it's where I get. Um, rejuvenated from and so but so we look at the principles with the greens we've got four that are sustain um, ecological sustainability and social justice grassroots democracy and non-violence so I kind of just look at them through that lens and you can interpret things different ways occasionally Mithra and I who's the other current Greens councillor, differ on stuff. But generally things like a footpath, to me it's a matter of social justice that people should be able to walk around their suburb. And it's, you know, it improves sustainability because it means people can get around without having to get in their cars. Mm. So, yeah, that's where I go. If You know, when I put that motion up to council that we would eject to the rust of our mine, there was some people that were upset about that because they, they work there. But I... Um, recognise that if we want sustainability into the future, we need a long-term plan. We need to get away from the stuff that is destroying the planet and create industries and support industries that are um, not destroying the planet that are sustainable. Yeah. So, so would, you, would you say you let principles and values guide you? Yeah, I try to, yeah. Try to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's because um, it's an incredibly privileged position being a councillor, being any politician, mm. but it's... Um, yeah, and you do have to make decisions about when are you going to make waves, when are you going to go against the flow of what the others are saying. Um, and but but yeah, like I said, dead fish go with the flow. Sometimes you have to have courage and and um, and do what you think is right and have conviction about. And and sometimes people lobby on stuff as well. Mm. Um, so you you take that into account as well. You take into account the staff recommendations. And, and make a judgment call. And I'm lucky that we've also got a local group where we discuss things and, yeah. Does it get stressful sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. Um, How do you manage stress personally? Uh, I think... You said you go to nature? 
going to nature, yeah, just like being outdoors, um, you know, time with my family. I've got a toddler that makes uh, being with her makes me very present because <laughs> yeah, she she won't let me like like always be distracted on my phone or anything. Um, Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a total blessing um, yeah. and delightful, and but yeah, challenging too, and. Um, but also just sharing, like talking to the people in the community about things because, yeah. so it's not just my thoughts, it's um, you try and be informed about what the community think. Yeah. like But not take the commentary on the Illawarra Mercury's Facebook page too to heart. <laughs> like sometimes there's um, a lot of But this naysayers. is just keyboard warriors. Yeah, it can be. You know, like this is the, the, the world we live in right now. Oh, isn't that rain nice? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're outside on the back deck and there's a bit of rain on the roof. Yeah, um, yeah I just, there's this whole, I mean, we live in a generation of keyboard warriors. I'd love to see some of these people say those things in a in an actual person-to-person public forum and, and, and they wouldn't, they never would, you know, and uh, I guess that's where I think these days resilience in that, in, cyber resilience is more important than ever. I mean, I have these conversations with teenagers in high school all the time, like they're always having issues with commentary on social media you know yeah. um but then i was just listening to you say that you'd have to deal with that you know on a on a public level yeah i mean i don't, I don't know i think that'd be hard to handle sometimes sometimes but then you um, seem pretty like, mellow about it yeah it's <laughs> like it was really interesting the the position on mining has been one of the most contentious yeah. particularly because wollongong's strong history of mining i get it yeah. and um but it's so important to the to the sustainability and to to many of the constituency of the Greens as well that um, it was actually some of the time when I felt like it was the most stressful and also the most um, energizing because it was is really important. So yeah, I yeah. guess it comes down to how do you change culture? You know, yeah. again, and I think we talked about this on the phone yesterday, like about the bike paths, like. Uh, yeah, look, let's face it. The, the bike paths, always, and, and it could be a little bit better. They yep. always, everything can be better. Yeah. But I, I feel like they're symbolic of a, a city that is saying, hey, leave your car at home today. Yeah. And, and ride your bike or skateboard or, 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 or walk, you yep. know. Um, it's not. But that's I worry what I think that some is. people feel like they're being judged to do that. And I what think also, like, like, actually, if someone else rides, that's someone you don't have to compete with for a park. So it can help everybody. If, yeah. you're a, if you are a driver or not, ah. having other people ride is a really good thing. I didn't think of that. Yeah, because car parking is often a thing that's discussed in the CBD. But actually compared to Sydney, car parking in Wollongong that's is a easy. That's a breeze. But, um, we don't have to pay. Or we do, but not... Like a dollar an as, hour. But not as... Nowhere near as much. No, that's right. And not as yeah. in, and, and there's a lot more free parking on the roads, parking for free. Yeah, if if people want free parking, they might have to walk a block or two. But yeah. that's a change in psyche. That's a change in um, culture, and it's really interesting because that like what does that mean in terms of urban planning? So since the um, the fig tree grove. Uh, was the first shopping centre kind of actually in, in New South Wales. Right. And so that was a big change was in urban it? planning. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So oh it um, – no, I didn't know that either until I was talking to one of the transport engineers because my mum actually got hit um, on the avenue trying to cross from Fig Tree Grove to the doctor's surgery. And Jess actually was the ambo that picked her up. No. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. Is that why they put that new barricading fence or has that always been there? 
Uh, no, oh, she got my mum got hit on the avenue, not on the Princess Highway. So yeah, it was avenue. on the other side. Oh, I'm not sure. I thought they put a, the, oh, this, She just got hit there? at the lights. It was just someone in the van um, at the oh. lights just didn't see her. It was an accident. Yeah. Accidents happen. Yeah. But um, so that, that's why I was talking to this transport engineer all about like, why did this happen? How can we address yeah. it? But yeah. um, it's that has made a massive shift in how people shop having suburban shopping centres where they get in their car and drive to them compared to something like markets in the mall where um, there's not parking right at the door, they might have to walk and it's like they're dealing with more small producers and getting stuff direct from a farmer or, yeah, it's, it's there's really interesting things about culture, whether you get, go to the supermarket and get a lot of heavily packaged food or go to the the fruit, fruit grocer and get uh, and veg and get unprocessed stuff that's that's healthier and yeah it's it's the role of culture and urban planning and council decisions are really interesting they are yeah. and i just think how do you change how do you change culture i just think it and it takes a lot of time even for yeah. the smallest things yep you know but it's like it, well no, or it, it can happen really quick like if you look at the 60s if there's social movements or, or if yeah. there's something that happens yeah so yep. let's for example like a pandemic a pandemic <laughs> it's like all of a sudden you know the cultural yep. shift that you hey you, you do a thousand zoom calls a, a week yep. now yeah and you're working from home like yep. that cultural shift happened just through sheer necessity right? totally yeah but i mean let's why can't we make change happen without having something as dramatic as a pandemic? I don't yeah, know. yeah. Hopefully we can. Yeah. Yeah. But I think too, like if nothing changes, nothing changes. Yeah, that's so right. So I yeah. love that. And getting engaged with it is the only way. Like if you sit back and you just go, ah, oh, nothing changes. I don't know. It's all stuffed or, or more <laughs> like <laughs> colourful languages. Then nothing will change. But if you get involved, at least you're trying and then, and then you've got a good red hot go. Yeah, it is. Um, just one of my last questions I've got for you is like, what, what, I feel like a lot of young people are disillusioned with politics. Yeah. Let's face it. Yeah. Um, I can't blame them to a degree. Yeah. Like why should, how, why should young people become more engaged in politics in whether it's local, federal? Why, why do you think they should, how do we get them to care? Well, their vested interests are deciding things for them if they want to be involved they can help shape what decisions are made and what the future mm. looks like. So whether it's that they can't afford to find anywhere to live because housing affordability is crazy, that's a decision by governments that have set up a tax system that favours investors over over people and that, that has failed to build social housing, that's failed to build um, housing for people in need. It's a decision of politics that decides how much TAFE or uni fees are. It's a decision of politics um, about whether there's a free bus or, or um, how often the bus comes or how often the train comes. There's lots of things that um, they can push back and try and shape. And politicians are used to not actually um, being contacted. And so if, if there's someone that has some spark that has identified something they want to see change, get in touch and, and sometimes you find a green that will help champion it for you or... or you can push them back and get um, your councillors or state MPs or federal politician and you can create change. And this year in 2022 is really key for Australia because we've got a federal election and the current Liberal Conservative government only holds a balance of, only holds a balance of power by one vote, only one seat. So if we had even just a small change, it's about 800 votes in a key area we could see a change of government. We could see this government fall. And if wow. whoever forms a new government, like the Greens are pushing for 
dental into Medicare for unlimited healthcare for mental health support instead of this 10, year, 10 a year, pushing for um, action on climate change, just things that will make people's lives better and, and um, one million homes so that we have better investment. Like it's, it's ridiculous that this pandemic that we haven't gone, uh, there's a housing crisis, let's stimulate the economy, uh, economy by building public housing. It's ridiculous that that hasn't happened. Other countries around the world have decided to build back better and address these social and climate challenges with their pandemic response. Mm. And it's just disgusting that Australia hasn't done it. So this year is a key one to, to change things up. And we are really hopeful in the Greens that we could get a second Green Senator for the Upper House. And the Senate, like Australia has this um, two houses of parliament in in the federal parliament so the government is decided by the lower house and then the upper house is a house of review and the senate can block things and they can like make the government's life really hard and then they can they can get great initiatives up as well so there's scope for the greens to win more senators and we could get a second green for new south wales and that could really shake things up yes yeah. <laughs> thanks thanks kath that's no, great thanks, so what's next what's next for you um where, where do you see yourself like professionally your career in like what's your what's your do you have a career strategy or a direction that you want to go or you're happy i to, don't that's how i don't. became a city council <laughs> i didn't it wasn't part of the plan. i was a staff member i was um an environment officer at council and i quit my job there to work at a food co-op because that was my love, Which my one? love thing. Flame tree, yeah. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And so, I was not a public servant anymore. So for the first time, I could speak publicly about what I thought about the world. And the Greens needed a candidate, and I became a federal candidate, knowing that locally I didn't have uh, much chance of winning. But I wanted to really see the the back then. It was Lee Rhiannon get elected to the Senate. She was our Green Senator that was going for election. And that, you know, through that process, I learned a lot about about media and a bit about politics and um, met so many great people in the community. And then when council elections came up, um, the person that had been the Greens councillor, he wanted to go and uh, he got offered a promotion at uni. He's a climate physicist. And so he stepped back from council and, and I got pre-selected to be the lead candidate and um, and got elected. So Amazing. I don't know. At the moment, I've got a three-year-old. So in two years' time, she'll be at school and and then we'll be heating up for another council election. So, I don't know. It's it's interesting where we've got um, city councillors um, elected, like in the inner west. There's a lot of Greens councillors. You've got a Green state MP. But I don't know if politics is is what I'll be pursuing. But at the moment, it's it's really great that you know what we can do on council um, in partnership with the community that's pushing for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you seem inspired. You seem really inspired. Oh, it's great talking politics with you. Yeah. It's really, yeah. Well, it's much better than just like reading business papers and dealing with the council bureaucracy at home with me and my laptop. Yeah. yeah. That's how COVID's affected your job as well, right? Yeah, a lot of so meetings you, on Zoom and, yeah. Um, yeah Is that how they're having the main meetings or they're still in person? The, the, we had a couple in person last year, but mm. most of them have been... On, on, on Teams. On Teams. Or, and before Microsoft. that, it was on Skype for business, which was so archaic. Yeah. Skype. <laughs> Skype. So old school. Yeah. That's so five years ago. Right? Yep. <laughs> well, listen, Kath, like it's been epic and I'm so grateful for your time. Um, and Thank I, I, you. Good on you for asking questions too. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they're any, they're very good questions, but they're just questions that I feel. Um, again, like I'll openly admit I'm not as politically engaged as I'd like to be. 
um, it is important. And I think it's one of those things, as I get older, I'm actually valuing it more than I ever have because I start to understand that we can make change. I don't know how you feel sometimes, but I think a lot of people are just starting to they, – they bury their head in the sand and go, oh, it's just too big a problem. It's, yeah. it, it also, it also uh, builds a little bit of angst. In, it yeah. builds angst. And, yeah. and oh, I don't want to feel like angst. Oh, I'm turning the news off. I don't want to know a thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes activists have focused too much on individual responsibility, like whether I get a straw or not with my drink or – and it, it's been great to see the plastics-free movement, like, doing amazing things, but we also need systemic change and that's where politics comes in. Systemic change. It's the hardest thing. Yeah, it is. But, but you got to yeah. do it. People, yep. like, people such as yourself are doing it. I love it. Um, listen, I ask all guests to come to the podcast with like a cause they want to support or advocate for. I mean, it, it can be a charity or a social enterprise or just a philosophy or an idea. Yeah. Um, have you got something for us today? Well, there's a, oh, I've got a whole list, but anyway, I feel like I've, I've no, like covered a fine. few. But the I mean, more, if anyone's in Wollongong, if they're using the bike paths, council's got um, a user survey at the moment. So jump on to council's au.wollongong.nsw.gov.au website and provide your feedback about the the pop-up bike paths, whether you like them, whether you don't, what's good, what's bad, the intersections or there's different approaches because some are separated cycleways, some are shared paths, some are just on-road with traffic calming with um, cars reduced speed limit to 30 k's an hour. They're different approaches and, and people like some and not, not others. Um, so let council know what you think. Um, awesome. And if someone's somewhere else in the world, food is... It is a really interesting thing at the moment. At the moment, there's like lots of photos in social media about supermarkets um, running out of stock. So I would say support your local grower or your independent grocer. In Australia, we've got a duopoly of Coles and Woolies and through cultural change, we can also challenge that and, and support local independent retailers and growers. Yeah, local growers like and, and, and buying seasonal locally grown food, it's generally more nutrient-dense better for your immune system, better for your health, which is paramount in these times we live in. So. Yeah, keeps the jobs local, keeps, yeah, yeah it's yeah. fresher and, yeah, there's short supply chains and transparent ones. No one's getting exploited or, yeah, relying on um, exploited labour. Community development. Yeah. Um, I'll put it, it, well, there's a link to that survey in this episode's show notes. So if you scroll down uh, on this episode, you'll find a link to that and click on it and, um, you know, go and give us your ideas and opinions. Uh, you can find this episode on terriblehappytalks.com um, and also all the other major podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, uh, Google Podcasts and whatever platform you prefer to listen on. It always helps if you um, subscribe and leave a review. Uh, you know, it just helps to, you know, get the the podcast more visible um on the inter, on the interweb on the internet you know because you know that's what it's all about these days but um also kath i have a gift for you but it's upstairs i won't go and get it i'll give it to you after the show but you get a, a tht t-shirt <laughs> I, i'll have to declare it <laughs> if it's over it's less than oh <laughs> 50 I bucks worth. anyway yeah they're less than 50 bucks cool sweet <laughs> yeah they retail at kingpin for 40 bucks cool is that okay oh because otherwise it's a bribe isn't it yeah <laughs> oh okay don't accept it <laughs> no i'll leave it with you <laughs> so i'll have to buy one <laughs> yeah buy one yeah <laughs> oh my god i'm so clueless i didn't even think no of it's that. all good Sorry. uh anyway so can i give you a sticker 
Sure. Okay, yeah, I'll chuck it on my bike. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, but look, thanks for being on. It's, I guess, like you said, I think it's just such it's so powerful just to get an understanding of your local government. So whether at the moment we're in Australia on this on the southeast coast, just south of Sydney, in a, in a regional. Uh, in a region called Illawarra, uh, a town called Wollongong. On the, uh, it's a coastal town, but uh, wherever you are in the world, you know, get to know your local councillors. I mean, it's, it, it's always helpful. I think, um, you know, power to the people, yep. really, you know. So. They can make magic happen. They can. You can make magic happen, Kath. Together. Together. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any power without. You don't. Yeah. Yes. Without the community pushing for it. Sorry, I'm just I'm yep, fading no, away. <laughs> Hey, so before we kick off the podcast, I just want to talk about getting your morning kick in Belmont Coffee. Belmont is owned by skaters, barbers, traders, and musicians. They came together with the idea of creating a co-pilot that's next to you on the late night drives, early mornings on the job site, or a midday pick-me-up. Ethically sourced beans in a sustainable can and ready to go when you are. Use the code THT to score a discount at belmont.com. That's Belmont, B-E-L-L-M-O-T-T dot com.